you have a strategy, right? You have a race strategy, you have a training strategy. So, you know, you just need to get into having the same type of strategy for oral health. We tend to ignore potential problems until they're an actual problem. That was Ken Pearson. And this is episode 36 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. How often do you think about your teeth in the context of your running? I've come from a family full of dentists, so dental health has always been something on my radar. Despite it being something I think about, there doesn't seem to be many people talking about dental health in running and endurance sport. So I invited my cousin, Ken Pearson, to come on the podcast to discuss this unique topic. Ken is a married father of four girls. He is a dentist who spent the first 18 years of his career in general dentistry, and he currently owns and works full-time at Happy Bear Surgery Center, which serves children in Central California who need sleep dentistry to accomplish their dental treatment. Ken has completed six marathons and two Ironman triathlons, but still states that mountain biking is his first love. We'll forgive him for that. This is a super interesting discussion on how to minimize the impact of those sugary goos, chews, and sports drinks on your teeth. How mouth breathing can negatively impact not only your oral microbiome, but your face structure, and how stress related to high training loads and life can result in grinding your teeth. He has several logical and simple tips for runners who want to protect their health of their teeth during training, racing, and life. Honestly, we found this conversation fascinating, and we hope you do too. So, Ken, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. We're so happy to have you join us today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So, for our listeners, I, I've already introduced Ken in our intro, but he happens to be my cousin, and it has been many years, actually, since we've actually seen each other. That's sad, Kim, but it is what it is. Yeah. I was telling Caroline that we're the kind of cousins that don't see each other for years, but when we do, we just pick right back up and can't stop talking. Right. I have cousins like that. Such a gift. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I am really uh, pleased that you agreed to be on this podcast today because we're going to be talking about some stuff that I think a lot of runners really haven't thought about. Like we have talked previously, Ken, things that aren't rocket science, things we all know when it comes to the topic of dental health and our teeth. But how many runners truly think about these things in the context of their running? So before we get into all of that, though, I would love for you to give the listeners a little bit of the backstory on yourself. Tell us about yourself. Sure. Well, uh, currently live and practice in California. Been here about two and a half years. Prior to moving here, my wife, who's also a dentist, and I had moved to Saipan, and we lived there for 13 years. So where is Saipan? I know where it is, but I doubt a lot of people do. (laughs) a tiny little island in the middle of the Pacific. If you have California as your reference, you're flying 
past Hawaii, you get, you know, it's like five hours flight to Hawaii and you keep going about another seven hours on your way towards Japan and you'll reach the Northern Mariana Islands. And it's a U.S. territory. Some people don't realize that, but at, in, during World War II, it was kind of taken from the Japanese and is still, Guam and Saipan are still U.S. territories and they're right next to each other, like 50, well, uh, close, within 150 miles. And uh, so, yeah, we were living over there. We had our four daughters over there. So, you know, went over as a young, uh, newly married couple and came back as a big family. So, um, <laughs> How old are yeah. your kids? My oldest is 11. And then I have, they're all two years apart. So 11 and nine and seven and turning five here soon. Oh my goodness, you're busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's 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 nonstop and it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Most never... of the time. We'll put a clarifier. <laughs> right, right, there. right. Yes. You don't have to tell any of the parents that that little caveat. <laughs> we all get it. <laughs> so maybe you could tell us now I you you are an endurance athlete. So can you tell us a little bit about your sporting background? Yeah. So, you know, I have always been active and I've always enjoyed, you know, athletic active stuff. I remember in high school having to do the mile run, or maybe it was a mile and a half run. It was something called presidentials. It's, you have to do this, you know, these these sets of how many push-ups, how many, you know, pull-ups, mm-hmm. how many sit-ups, and you got to run a mile and a half and all these different things. And I just remember thinking, I am going to die. Like this <laughs> running is the most miserable thing that you could ever do. Like this is terrible. But, you know, that was high school. And then in college, I got into mountain biking and really enjoyed mountain biking. Love it. And I still love it. That's still kind of my number one sport. But then right after college, I did a year in Africa um, working for a non-government NGO, a non-government organization. And during that time, I remember meeting this guy. He was an ultra ultra marathoners. He was from South Africa. He had done the Comrades Marathon. Mm -hmm. And uh, every day he would go out and run, oh, I don't know, an hour, sometimes hour and a half, two hours. And so he kind of said, hey, come run, you know, come run. I mean, this is this is just such a great release, you know, just a great way to, you know, kind of spend some time, you know. And so I started doing that. And so I started running. And I really enjoyed it. I'd run with him about an hour. And that's when I kind of really started to enjoy the feeling, I guess, or the the release, the physical activity of running. So then when I went, got back from that year, I started dental school. And that was when I said, you know what, I'm going to do a marathon. So it was kind of, for me, like a way to maintain sanity, you know, kind of like an emotional release. It was kind of like a a thing that uh, I would do. I'd just run mm-hmm. pretty much every day. And then on the weekend, I'd do the long runs. And then that was the year that I did the LA Marathon for the first time. And you were going to dental school in California. Yes. Yeah. And there was a running group called the Lopers. They have a, a training program that takes you up to speed to run the LA Marathon. So you start with them and you start off at like two miles and over the period of six months, they build you up to your longest run of, uh, I forget, maybe 22 or 23. 
And uh, then you're pretty much, and that's a few weeks before LA Marathon. And so then you're pretty much ready. So I think I did LA Marathon three times, did San Diego, uh, rock and roll one time in there as well. And, um, and then since then, a couple other marathons. But, uh, you know, every time I did a marathon, I was just like, I am beat. I, I just don't know how these ultra people do it. I, I think they just must be a little crazy. So Kim, hats off <laughs> to crazy because, <laughs> oh man, I don't know how you do it. I fully consider the mar- road marathon harder than the 50K Ultra. I do. I don't see how that's possible. You pace to a finish line. <laughs> well, okay. So you obviously weren't turned off after your first marathon. You went on to complete several others. I think you've said six other marathons. Yeah. You were beat at the finish line, but then you got into doing Ironmans. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. So through dental school, I ran. The beauty of it is it's just simple. You have shoes and that's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's 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 simple. But I'd kind of always been intrigued by triathlon, but I always felt like I just didn't have the time or the money. But anyway, I like to swim and I had kind of grown up swimming and and I like to bike. So yeah, after dental school I just got into it and uh you know, I guess you get into the tri world. Doing a Ironman is kind of like the ultra marathon, or at least the marathon of uh, of tries. And so, I wanted to do one, and so I ended up doing the inaugural Ironman Utah, which does not even exist anymore because it was a major bust. We got into the water. It was an early morning start. You know, mass start. Beautiful day. And as the sun came up over the horizon, this wind just picked up on Lake Provo. I mean, the waves must have been two, three feet high. It was crazy. It blew away all the markers. People were all over the lake. And then some guy had to be pulled in with a high-speed rescue, with a boat. I mean, people, and they pulled him right to the dock where all the spectators were. They're doing CPR on him. I mean, they're panicking. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was a, and then they're going around collecting people who were like spread out like a fan. I mean, they were, we'd been swimming for an hour, you know, thinking that we're, we're chasing these markers that had been blown off, completely off course. You must have been thinking, I thought I was more fit than this. How right? come I'm not I'm like, there yet? man, what is going on? <laughs> and uh, so then they're out on bullhorns, you know, saying, everybody just get to shore, walk back to the start. You know, and they're picking up people on surfboards and speedboats and jet skis and stuff. It ended up turning into a duathlon. So basically, they canceled the whole. It took two hours to get everybody collected and accounted for. And then they turned it into a a bike run event and they shortened the distances. So, you know, I was all primed and ready for Ironman. And then it got turned into a duathlon that was like significantly shortened. And it was just so disappointing. But the good thing was Ironman, the organization, did give lottery events for all participants to other uh, Ironman events around the country. And so I got one for Ironman Florida. The only problem was that was seven months later, you know, so you try to stay in shape, which didn't really happen as well as I thought it was going to. 
so long story short, I did Ironman Florida, and it was a good race, except just hot and humid. I did my Ironman in 2002, and then I did other races 2003, got married 2004, and then moved to the islands in 2005. So you've established that you definitely have some endurance background, whether it's marathon running or triathlon training. The topic that we're going to talk about today, I think applies to endurance athletes, period, whether or not they're runners or cyclists. But let's talk a little bit more about dental health in runners. There are so many questions that Carolyn and I have regarding this. There's certain things we've heard and read. We're not sure they're actually true. (laughs) Um, We want to pick your brain on all things related to how runners can keep their teeth healthy or at least minimize the negative impacts of certain things that we do as runners during both training and racing. Sure. So you ready to get into into this part of it a little bit more? We're going to ask you to put your professional hat on as well as talk to us from somebody who has been, you know, on the road and in the saddle for hours and hours. So let's just start with a higher level question. What are some things that athletes need to consider when it comes to consuming sugar during a race? So the gels, the goos, the blocks, Mm. the energy drinks, like obviously they're full of sugar on purpose. So what are some things that athletes need to consider when it comes to consuming these aids? Well, I mean, I kind of see it as a necessary evil, right? I mean, so you've got to fuel anybody that's done anything over, you know, an hour or two, you know, you have to fuel, especially you're talking an ultra or Ironman or something. I mean, uh, you're going all day and you have to fuel. So I can't tell you don't eat sugar because, you know, carbs is a necessary part of fueling. However, the consequences of constantly eating sugar or putting carbs in your mouth is that you are feeding not only yourself, but you're also feeding your whole microbiome. So all the bacteria in your mouth, especially the bad ones that are going to cause problems for you, you're actually feeding those as well. And so it's really kind of this dilemma. So you're really looking at what are things that you can do to minimize the negative kind of side effects of constantly putting sugar in your mouth without having to not do that. So we can get into the sticks, but uh, you know, I just, um, I'm sorry. I want to interrupt here for a second because I think we could, we could go down to the road of the debate between fueling and energy systems like keto, fat burning, sugar burning. I don't want to go there. Let's just assume that people are using carbs (laughs) in some form. So putting sugar in your mouth for hours on end and not just during a race, but during training too. For example, I was out for a four and a half hour training run yesterday. I was putting the same things into my system that I would be during a race, right? You're doing this week after week. Mm -hmm. So is sugar the only problem? Like, is there, I've heard a lot of talk about acidity as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, so sugar is not the only problem. I mean, um, acidity is an actual issue. So you have acid erosion that happens. And there's a lack of research, it seems, about athletes or at least endurance athletes and oral health. But there are some studies that show a significant correlation between increased oral complications or oral health challenges and athletes. 
And so there definitely are things associated with being an athlete and, you know, not necessarily taking a proactive role in your oral health that can lead to challenges and problems down the road. So yes, acid erosion is a huge one. And then uh, bacterial overgrowth or, you know, feeding the bacteria that are going to cause cavities and gingivitis and periodontal problems. And then also dry mouth. Uh, You know, when you're breathing through your mouth, it dries everything out. And uh, that is also a problem um, because it leads to both of those other things, acid erosion and greater bacterial overgrowth. You basically don't get the uh, saliva that would bathe and kind of rejuvenate your teeth in between when you're breathing so much and drying out your mouth. Okay, there's so much to unpack, right? Because like you said, it's it's almost this necessary evil. Like you've got to put the sugar down the hatch in order to have the energy in order to perform as an endurance right. athlete. And yet we all are becoming very aware of the detriments to consuming a lot of sugar, right? And, and you're mentioning even ones that people might not be aware of, like the microbiome in my mouth. Like I didn't even know I had a microbiome mm. in my mouth. So can you talk to us? I think this microbiome is starting to become like on people's radar a bit yes. more in terms of in their gut, right? But can right. you talk to us about the microbiome in the mouth and sort of the detrimental things that might happen from having to consume sugar as an endurance athlete and if there's anything we can do to kind of reconcile the two? Yeah. So you're right. There is a whole lot more nowadays being talked about your microbiome. And usually people are talking about your gut specifically, but just think about it. What's the beginning of your gut? I mean, everything goes through the hatch, right? Everything's going through your mouth and then down into your stomach and then through the rest of your intestines until it exits. So, you know, it's all connected. So, you know, having healthy bacteria, it really has to start from your mouth. And so when we talk about your microbiome, we're talking about the bacteria that are within your system, you know, hopefully symbiotic. So in other words, working with you. And we usually have a way of reaching a kind of homeostasis or an equilibrium of where you have healthy or good bacteria. And there are also some unhealthy or bad bacteria. Now, when it comes to your oral bacteria or the oral microbiome, um, you're talking about um, having, you know, the good bacteria that are in balance with some of the bad bacteria. Now, if they get like out of whack and you get a whole bunch of the ones that are causing cavities, and those are the ones that you're feeding primarily, Mm -hmm. and then they're way out producing, or there's way more of them than the good ones, then there's an imbalance and you'll start to have a lot of problems. Like you'll have a lot more cavities. You could also be more prone to periodontitis or periodontal disease. Now, periodontal disease is basically starts with gingivitis, which just means inflammation of the gingiva. That inflammation basically starts to creep down into the little crevice between your teeth and the gums. And then it just starts to break down to where there's actually a little smaller microbiome within the crevice that actually starts to cause a really serious amount of inflammation that can actually start to break down that attachment. And so when that attachment starts to go, 
you start having what we call in dentistry pockets that are greater than two to three millimeters. So have you, you guys have been to the dentist and have they mm-hmm. done measurements, you know, mm-hmm. where they go through and they say two, three, two, mm-hmm. yes. two, mm-hmm. three, two, yeah. three, four. And yeah, then what you, know, is that? you get to like a five <laughs> or a six and they're like, ooh, you know, like, oh, we've got a six. Hmm, we're going to have to talk about I've that. I've never had a six. Okay. Hey, hey, okay. You're making me proud. You're making me proud. <laughs> It's like I'm another a family full of dentists. Come on. <laughs> right. I was gonna say it's like another language when you go to the dentist because I'm mm-hmm. like in healthcare, right? And I think, oh yeah, I know all about the body, and then they're I like know. talking about and all this stuff. I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. I know, and it's it's it shouldn't be that way, but I mean, it kind of sometimes is. But yeah, so what that is is it's a measurement in millimeters of the actual depth of the pocket. So from the mm-hmm. top of the gingiva, the right. top of the gums. From what you, when you look at the tooth and you see the top of the gums mm-hmm. against the tooth down to where the attachment of the actual fibers that connect the tooth to the gums, that's that measurement. Mm. Okay. So that's the pocket. We call it the pocket. And that's the measurement of the pocket. Now you get into beyond three millimeters, you get into like four, five, six, and beyond, then you have periodontal disease, mm. which is a level of inflammation that is actually causing bone loss. The inflammation is chronic and it's actually causing the bone level around the teeth to erode, to actually decrease. And so that can be really serious because if that's not addressed and we're not even talking about systemic inflammation because it leads to, to, you know, inflammation throughout your body as well. But we're just talking about like in a local right there around your teeth. I mean, that's pretty serious because if that's unchecked by the time you're middle age to older, you'll actually have significant bone loss around your teeth. And you get to a point eventually where the teeth just has no more good bone support and it actually becomes fairly unstable or loose or it's just it's just unstoppable in the sense, you know, you just basically can't get a grip on it, even with deep cleaning and with cleaning out that pocket and everything, it just will not resolve. And at that point, you're looking at possibly removing the tooth. Mm, Okay. So pocketing, (laughs) I know you're talking about a different type of pocket than I'm going to mention now, but bringing this back to runners, how many times have I shoved a few chews or half a bar into my cheek and it sat there for half an hour because I was Ooh. just so dry I couldn't get it down right Ooh, yeah. um ultra runners I think are notorious for that mm-hmm. so talk to us I mean I just have a whole bunch of questions here forgive me if they just come out in random order sure. but you know sticky chews dense protein bars I can't imagine that having those in your cheek for extended periods of time is good for your teeth no and then I've also heard that it can weaken crowns and fillings. Is that true? Hmm. Well, let's start with it's not good, but again, one of those kind of necessary things. Yeah. Now, you could kind of get into little strategies that you can do yeah. to minimize that situation, right? Yeah. But then you also uh, mentioned that it could, you know, could weaken crowns and fillings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, other than lead to recurrent decay, which is what we call decay that starts around an existing filling or crown. You know, if if there's been some type of restoration, 
or trying to restore the tooth, right, with a filling or a crown or something. Mm -hmm. And then you get decay that starts underneath that. We call that recurrent decay. And other than leading to a much higher chance of that, I don't think that it would really lead to breakdown of the filling or the crown. Like it's not a mechanical thing no, per se. It would I, I be more an inflammatory. So. No, or a... yes. I think it'd be more leading to an overgrowth of the bad okay. type of bacteria, which would lead okay. to decay at the margin or, you know, kind of more chance of having some type of recurrent decay. Okay. So why don't you get into now, like we all know that some of these things aren't good for our teeth necessarily. What can a runner do? Give us like some quick and dirty tips of how we can minimize the impact of simple sugar consumption during training and racing. When I was thinking about it, you know, one just big takeaway, and if there was one thing that I think I'd probably stress, I think taking a proactive approach, actually making a plan. Like you have a strategy, right? You have a race strategy, you have a training strategy. So, you know, you just need to get into having the same type of strategy for oral health. So when I talk about a strategy for your oral health, I mean, I think a lot of times people just neglect it because for whatever reason, we tend to ignore potential problems until they're an actual problem. And uh, Carolyn, I guess, you know, this is maybe more down your track of things, but as far as actually preventing the problem before it actually happens, right? Mm -hmm. We're not terribly motivated to do that, are we? <laughs> yeah, right? A lot of times we just, we know we should do certain things and then we just kind of, you know, for whatever reason, don't. So when I'm talking about a strategy, I mean, I think to start off with, uh, don't ignore your oral health. I mean, actually try to establish a relationship with a dentist. Try to go in every six months so you have a cleaning and a, you know, a professional cleaning. A lot of times, I mean, athletes tend to be very aware of their physical health and of their oral health. And they do a pretty good job in actually, you know, following the steps, the typical, you know, I brush and floss my, my teeth every day, that type of thing. But I think sometimes we tend to think, well, because I'm healthy or whatever, I, I you know, I'm not having any kind of pain, I'm not having any issues. So kind of, ah, I, I just, don't have time to go to the dentist. I'm running yeah, today. I'm running. I don't have time to go don't to the dentist. Time. <laughs> exactly. So I guess that's where a starting place would be is try to get in every six months. You know, as a dentist, I can just say that dentists are typically notoriously bad for taking care of themselves because we think we know it all already, right? So, oh, I'm already doing that. You know, I'm already brushing and flossing. I'm doing this and doing that. So, you know, we, a lot of times we don't go in ourselves and get cleanings every six months or have somebody else take a look because, you know, I'm like, oh, I can take, take a look in the mirror myself, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just so going in and talking to your dentist or hygienist that you are an endurance athlete, you know, that you do typically drink a lot of sports drinks or possibly use, you know, supplements, goose, different things like that. And that way they can kind of give you some tips and advice and, you know, stay on top of it, right? If they see some erosion happening or they see some decalcification, which is basically enamel that's starting to erode away. And it's kind of has like a chalky appearance. So if there's decalcification happening, they can give you a prescription toothpaste that will help to remineralize. So 
I guess that'd be like the upper level strategy. And then if you get into like lower level strategy, like everyday strategy, there's a lot of different things that we can actually do. Yeah. Like talk to us about, you know, say I'm out for my four and a half hour run yesterday morning. Right. In in that six hour window before and after that run, what are some things I should be thinking about? So one of the major things is trying to have a strategy where you're not actually you're you're lessening the frequency and uh, lessening the time where it's bathing your mouth, mm. right? So if you if you're talking about a goo or if you're talking about a block or something, instead of holding it in your cheek where it's just gonna get everywhere between all your teeth and everything, mm-hmm. you're basically just trying to get it down the hatch as quick as possible where it needs to go, right? It doesn't need to be sitting around your teeth. It needs to be down in your stomach. So trying to have a strategy where you're actually getting it down without it actually filling your mouth and without swishing it, you know, like I would try, especially in my last half Ironman, I would try to swallow if I'm taking, say, Gatorade or something. Actually, I tried as much as possible not to use Gatorade because I was trying to be supernatural, but... uh, I don't know if it really made any difference or not, but anyway, I, like I told you, Kim, I was using like coconut water and I'd make my own electrolyte drink, you know, with like honey and salt and stuff. But, and I don't know if that was actually worth it or not, but I would try to get it down without swishing it around in my mouth or holding it there. Right. Um, and I do think there is some benefit to that, or at least if you're not able to do that, or even if you are able to do that, to follow it up with some, some plain water. So yeah. you're trying to keep a neutral, as neutral of a oral uh, state as possible. If you have too much sugar, I mean, it's just going to be so acidic. You're going to be a lot more prone to erosion. And that's, you know, enamel and dentin erosion. If you have root surfaces that are exposed, they're a lot softer than enamel. And so they'll start to erode. And that can be a problem. Yeah, I'm hearing from you, like, if I were to choose, everything's about choices, right? What's the best choice I can make? So ability to tolerate things in your stomach aside, from a dental health perspective, I'm hearing that maybe the more thinner and liquidy the the fuel, the better, something that's solid and it's going to stick to my teeth for a long time, maybe not as good, unless you can literally just swallow it back. Right. And then maybe less acidic, the better as well. So sour flavors, correct me if I'm wrong, will have more like citric acid. Citric acid, ascorbic acid. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe if you can choose your flavors in that regard, I don't know. Like, do you think that makes much of a difference? Is it something we should be really worried about? It's hard to say. I would say probably not. One thing that would probably make the biggest difference is frequency. Okay. So, you know, instead of drinking, say, a couple swigs of, say, you know, a sports drink every 10 minutes, try to prolong the sports drink to a little bit longer, like take more, but less frequent Mm -hmm. instead of like constantly having it in your mouth. So maybe like water every 10 minutes, but every 30 do your sports drink. Right, right, right. And then possibly, possibly something where you're doing like you're having an electrolyte drink or maybe not necessarily a drink, but you're doing replacing electrolytes 
you know, through like a tab or something like mm-hmm. that instead of within your, within your drink. So, you know, like when you're eating solids, you're not going to be chewing a bar every 15 minutes, right? No. I mean, you're going to be doing that a lot less frequent. And by doing it less frequent, you're actually exposing your oral biome or your, your you know, all the bacteria in your mouth to less chance to feed themselves because they're going to eat the carbohydrates just like you are. So if you're feeding, if something's going down your mouth every 10, 15 minutes, you're feeding them just that frequent. Have you ever done a race and you just, at the end, I mean, your teeth just feel like (laughs) they're covered in fur? (laughs) Have I ever? Yeah, right. Right. Every race, right? 100%. And ultras, you know, we would often pack a toothbrush in a drop bag so we could brush our teeth mid-race. That's a great strategy. You know, I'm happy to hear you say that, but I honestly have never thought about it. I hate to admit, from a dental health perspective, I thought about it more just from a, it feels good. Like right? It feels good to clean that fur off my teeth. It, yeah, it feels good because you know that your teeth aren't clean, right? When they start feeling fuzzy, like they've got like carpet or some kind of type of fuzz all over them. I mean, you just know that that's not clean. And so it feels great to have a clean mouth. So if you're out there for more than 10 hours, being able to clean your teeth is actually, I think, a great strategy because having that plaque layer sit there, I mean, basically is just producing acid. And it's the acid that breaks down your teeth and leads you a lot more prone to cavities. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's sounding like the more you're exposed to this, like the more sugar you're exposed to, the longer it sits in, in your mouth, the more frequently you have it, the higher the risk factors for having some of these dental problems. Correct. So then it, it sort of just dawned on me as you were talking is that that inflammation that may happen as a result of taking in all this sugar. I'm wondering if it is something that you see more as the length of the event increases. So like this might happen more in ultra endurance athletes than in track athletes. So I can't speak to that really. I don't really know that aspect of things. I can say that the inflammation that I was referring to and that that I'm typically talking about is not short-term inflammation just Mm -hmm. due to having, you know, where your teeth are covered in fur because they've got so much plaque (laughs) covering them. It's not like a short-term inflammation. So the real damaging inflammation when it comes to oral health is the gingivitis that leads to periodontitis inflammation. And that's chronic inflammation that's there just all the time. So that's where going to the dentist and having that professional cleaning and having them check the pocket depths and kind of check everything, that's where that comes in uh, and is hugely important. Now, as far as systemic inflammation and sugar, I think there are correlations there. But like I said, I can't really speak to that. Mm -hmm. You probably know a whole lot more about that than I do. Okay, so let's take a little bit of a, you know, a left turn here. And let's go back to something you mentioned earlier about mouth breathing and drier mouth, less saliva having an impact on the teeth. You know, especially in this last year with COVID, almost every human, well, maybe not every human, but many people are wearing masks now, right? Mm -hmm. And at least here in Canada, in in Manitoba, you know, when I, if I go to the gym and want to run on the treadmill, I have to wear a mask. And 
as healthcare providers, we're both healthcare providers that, you know, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I find myself mouth breathing a oh, whole lot more. Absolutely. Protruding yes. my jaw to keep the mask away from my face and drinking less water, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's less convenient. You don't want to contaminate the mask, contaminate your hands. So I find I just don't drink as much. Mm-hmm. So can you comment on that? And maybe why having a drier mouth and less saliva affects your teeth? Like what, what does it do? Right. Well, there's a lot of considerations there. And in your statement, there's a lot of directions we could go. But let's start with saliva is your number one cleanser or bringing things back to normal. So after a meal, even without brushing, you will have a greater salivary flow. So you'll have more saliva coming through. If you keep your mouth closed and, you know, you're actually not breathing through your mouth, and breathing through your nose, it actually gives the chance to basically come back to homeostasis. So it's full of minerals. It allows calcium and other minerals to get back into your enamel. So if you've had acidic things in your mouth that have kind of eroded away some of the enamel, it actually remineralizes the enamel. Mm, Um, It actually cleanses, you know, out food particles and other things. It'll actually kind of help wash that away without brushing even. It doesn't replace brushing, but it's just there's a huge benefit to salivary flow and to the saliva in your mouth. Now, if you're just constantly breathing through your mouth, then it evaporates and dries up your saliva and it leads to uh, not an ideal environment for your oral health. I mean, basically it allows the bacteria to overgrow and it doesn't allow the saliva to cleanse and to remineralize your teeth. So you're a lot more prone to cavities. So yes, breathing through your nose. Now wearing masks, oh my goodness, I find myself breathing through my mouth so much more and I don't know exactly why. I just find myself doing it naturally. I have been trying to make a conscious effort to keep my lips closed, to actually have my teeth just barely touching and to breathe through my nose while I'm wearing the mask, but I keep catching myself during the day uh, where I'm breathing through my mouth and not breathing through my nose. And, you know, I don't know if it's because, you know, I wear an N95 and it kind of pinches on my nose. And so it feels like it's constricting my airway, maybe. Um, That's one idea that I had. But yes, I mean, if you can breathe through your nose, and of course, during training, that's also a challenge, right? You start breathing heavy, at least for me, I start breathing heavy. I breathe through my mouth. You know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not breathing through my nose when I'm past a certain level of breathing, but I try and I've, it it takes conscious effort, right? Because it's habitual as well. So you Mm -hmm. kind of fall into habits. And so if you find yourself like I would, when I'm going out for a run, automatically breathing through my, through my mouth. And so, and I have to like switch mentally and say like, I got to breathe through my nose. And keep telling myself when I go back to starting to breathe through my mouth again, start breathing through my nose. So, yeah, I mean, I think the benefits are there. And beyond just the oral benefits, uh, I think there are other benefits. And you've, Kim, you said you had been mm-hmm. reading and doing some research. I'm a and stuff huge about- advocate of nasal breathing for, yeah, for so many benefits, primarily related to the central nervous system regulation mm. and diaphragmatic engagement. But I honestly, until I started researching this topic for our podcast, never even thought 
about the benefits related to saliva and, and neutralizing mm-hmm. acid and cleaning my teeth. And everyone mm-hmm. thought of that. I wonder if Brian McKenzie has thought of that. <laughs> well, I've just been reading a really fascinating book called Breathe by, I think the guy's name's James Nestor. Nestor is definitely the last name. I might mm. be blanking. But anyway, it was super fascinating. He's talking about this. And of course, breathing through the nose, like heats, humidifies and filters the air too. So there's right. benefits that way in addition to the, the more saliva production. But what was super fascinating about this book, and I'm not all the way through it yet, is that he was talking about because we're not nasal breathing as much anymore, it's actually changed the structure of our face in a way that it sort of collapses in. Can you comment on that? Yeah. Yeah. And and the, the, you know, collapses in and then causes crowding in the teeth and all sorts of dental problems. So, you know, I, I recently read a book and I think I thought it was called uh, Jaws. Anyway, they were talking about that very thing where, you know, it seems as though, Things are actually changing in our facial growth and development because of mouth breathing. Yes. Instead of nose breathing. And when I thought about when I, after reading that, I was kind of like, oh my goodness, I you know, I'm skeptical. I'm ske- I'm a skeptic. I'm all, mm-hmm. always a skeptic. And um, so I'm like, is this? You know, I'm not sure if this is true. But when I actually thought back and actually observed there is actual real world examples uh, even within my own children that I can point to where it actually is true. So you start mouth breathing, your uh, tongue position is low, your mouth is ajar, your jaw is open slightly your tongue is not up in the palate. It's not in a good resting position. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't really think about it, but your tongue actually puts a constant pressure to actually promote the shape and size of your palate. Now, in what I'm doing right now, which is treating primarily pediatric patients under general anesthesia, so these are a lot of times special needs kids who a lot of times are mouth breathers. Now, I don't know exactly why, um, but you know, for whatever the condition that they have, um, they're breathing through their mouth, they have an open mouth position, and what I see daily is a narrow, high palate, crowded teeth, and not a nice, wide, expanded palate. Mm-hmm. Now you have a narrow palate. That's your airway, right? right that's right. what's right above your palate. It's your, it's, it's your Does nasal. Does that affect your sinuses? Like Absolutely. the shape of your sinuses too? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's your, that's your sinuses. That's your nasal passage. And if that's constricted, well, in your growth and development, then of course you're going to be breathing through your mouth because you've never really been breathing through your nose. Now I said, I mentioned my kids, right? So I have two kids that I've had in uh, palatal expanders. Now, what that is, so they were thumb suckers. And so um, when you're sucking your thumb, again, you're not putting your tongue in the right position. So Mm -hmm. at night, you're going all night with your thumb up in your palate and you're sucking on your thumb. Your tongue is not going to the roof of your mouth. And so what happened in two of my kids is that they their palate did not expand. Mm-hmm. So they were in a crossbite, which means your lower teeth were on the outside of your upper teeth. 
right? If you think about mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. when you bite together, your lower teeth are inside of the most outside cusp or edge of your upper teeth, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you bite together, your upper teeth are outside of your lower teeth. Crossbite is when your lower teeth are outside of your upper teeth, right? Mm. So they were in crossbite and you know, obviously, if you're in a functional crossbite, that means when you're actually sliding into crossbite so you can chew better, that is going to hold your teeth in that position. You're not going to have proper facial growth and development of your maxilla. So what I did is on Avon, my one, I put on a rapid Powell expander. So it's basically this device that I cemented onto her teeth and it actually separates, it sounds crazy, but it's, it's really pretty straightforward, but it actually separates the suture that's down the midline of your maxilla. So it actually opens it up and then the bone grows in. So I put her out of crossbite. So I kind of opened up her palate and uh, man, I'm so glad I did. And then on my other one, she was also in a crossbite and I expanded her palate And, you know, it's just amazing. She's breathing through her nose instead of through her mouth. And now that it's expanded out, it makes a big difference. So could it actually lead to facial changes? Absolutely. Mm. It absolutely could. So that makes sense to you, right? Yes. But I I guess bringing it back to the runner or the athlete in this case, what was also really (laughs) fascinating about this book, I think it just does not occur to people that they could run while breathing through their nose like nobody Mm -hmm. really teaches you that if you go to a running clinic and they're going to teach you how to run they're going to you know okay here's how we run and speed work and long run and this and that but no one's going to say about breathing like I've never heard that in in any sort of teachings right Mm -hmm. and so it's hard though and and it would require quite a a discipline yeah a discipline practice but what this book ultimately was saying, or however far I've gotten into it, is that it actually does improve athletic performance. Once you get the hang of being able to like not hyperventilate, like thinking right. that you're, you only can breathe through your nose, you actually improve your time to exhaustion and all of these different things. So it's very fascinating. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. yeah good. Yeah. I've heard that it makes a big difference and it's just, it's super fascinating. I, I'd like to learn more about it. And it has to do with, uh, the fight or flight response mm-hmm. as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. It basically downregulates you from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And yeah. there's times you want to be in sympathetic mode, like if you're sprinting 100 meters, right. but that's a different game too when you're right. in zone five. But, you know, this makes me think about, oh, you know, I don't want to get into political debate about masks, but the reality that my kids now are wearing a mask at recess, they're wearing a mask at school, they're running around outside told to wear a mask. And it just makes me wonder, you know, what this could potentially doing for their long term facial and oral health development. You well, know? I sure hope that it ends. I mean, yeah, I, that's, that's, yeah. I keep Hopefully thinking that, like, I hope this is yeah. like, you know, is going to end soon, you know, like it's gonna, Mm -hmm. we can go back to not wearing masks. Now, I've also thought like, well, maybe we're gonna be like stuck wearing masks. And this is going to be kind of a new norm, you know, but I sure hope not. Because I do think that there is a significant detriment to it. I mean, if you're if you're just talking about oral health, uh, only, for sure, there is if you're tending to breathe through your mouth instead of through your nose, or if you're holding your mouth kind of open or ajar, um, the ideal position to have your resting 
position is where your teeth just barely touch and your yeah. tongue should be up at the roof of your mouth. There's one other topic I'd like to just get into before we close the podcast with you today. And, you know, you mentioned how important it is to get regular dental checkups every six months. And I, I admit there's been periods in my life where I have been that person who, okay, here's a secret. I've never had a cavity and I better knock on some wood right now, but I've never had a cavity. Wow. No fillings. I have two crowns because I managed to knock my two front teeth out in a gymnastics accident. But other than that, I've had fairly good oral health. So back, you know, maybe a decade ago, I wasn't going to the dentist very often. But once I started ultra running, I remember being in the dentist's office one day and he looked in my mouth and he said, you grind your teeth. And I said, I do. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you're grinding your teeth. And, and so it started a discussion on, and you know, at that point, then I started seeing him regularly and I was training very heavily at that time. And we mm. determined that during periods when I was peaking and training heavily and potentially under more stress, mm -hmm. the hypothesis was, is that that's when I was grinding my teeth the most. And so I ended up getting an appliance and yada, 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 the rest mm -hmm. is history. But I'm wondering, do you have any comments on stress, bruxism, athletics? Is there anything to talk about there? <laughs> I think there is. I think there definitely is an association, actually. So when you are under a lot of physical stress, even though it's not mental stress, right? Um, you know, I know that when I've been training, when I've been doing, you know, training for Ironman and, you know, I'm putting in a lot of hours, I mean, I am physically exhausted, right? I have no problem sleeping. Like I am, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I hit the pillow 100%. and I am out, right? Yeah. It's, it's the sweet benefit. Yeah. But I do think that you are more prone to bruxism. So you are more prone to grinding and kind of this oral movement of your teeth. And I don't really know exactly why. It would be an interesting thing to kind of research and kind of figure out or find out what the theories are there. But, um, so how did he know? How did he know I was grinding my teeth so just by looking at my mouth? probably saw that you're wearing, you're wearing down certain spots. You start to see wear facets. So basically, um, as you slide your teeth from one side to the other, um, and you're doing that repetitively all night, or at least during, you know, certain periods of your sleep, you're actually wearing down the enamel in certain spots where your teeth touch. So we notice it mainly on canines because those provide a lot of guidance. Um, and then, you know, the outside cusps. So you can start to see wear facets of people that tend to grind. Now, if it's really severe, it's very obvious. Now, if it's mild, then you don't see it so much. But I have never thought of myself as grinding. Like, you know, Crystal, my wife, has never complain that I grind my teeth or that I, you know, anything like that. But after I had braces for the second time, um, this time as an adult, it was, you know, quite a few years ago now, but I started wearing a retainer. It was the kind of retainer that isn't just a wire. It's one that actually covers your teeth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I wear a lower plastic retainer that covers all of my teeth at night, every night. And man, I am surprised at how worn it gets. I typically have to replace it every couple of years, you know, because it just gets worn out. And mm -hmm. I've never thought of myself as 
you know, I've never known myself to grind my teeth at night or anything, but yet I obviously do because, you know, I wear out this retainer. So, you know, wearing a, wearing a little guard at night, I think as long as it's not too thick, I think can actually be a benefit to protecting your teeth. So, you know, you just spoke to why there could be a million reasons why people are grinding their teeth at night, but, um, I'm hearing from you that, yeah, it's those regular dental checkups and having a relationship with a a dentist that knows you and your teeth might be a way of identifying that the these things might be happening before they become a huge problem right? and, and just being aware, right. That, yeah. that these are some things you want to be thinking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've kept you here quite a while. It's been a fascinating conversation before we close. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with or tell our listeners? Well, not really. I uh, keep up uh, doing what you're doing. Try to be conscious of your oral microbiome and environment, you know, Try to be cognizant of it and, and approach your oral health just like you would your general health or your training regimen or, you know, the strategies that you have. Actually, just, you know, make a plan and then try to actually uh, stick to it and accomplish it. And that can go from training plan to race day plan to daily plan, like how you're going to care for your teeth. That is one thing that we didn't touch on is while you're not training and while you're not uh, racing, and this is my opinion, but the more that you can not graze, so Mm -hmm. not snack, like snacking is the worst thing you can do for your oral health. Mm -hmm. Now I know when you get into dieting and or different strategies when it comes to, I've just heard people that are, you know, trying to follow a particular plan for something, you know, they'll get into like 10 mini meals per day or whatever, you know, or they're just constantly eating, you know, carbo loading or something throughout the day. Well, when it comes to oral health, that's a bad strategy. If you can go through your periods of bathing your teeth in sugary or carbohydrate rich things to a minimum, so like only while you're training or only while you're racing, or mm-hmm. maybe not even on the short, short training runs, you know, but only do it on the really long ones on the weekend or whatever, mm-hmm. or whenever you're doing your longer runs, um, and not, you know, be pumping the goose and the blocks or the uh, sports drinks on every run. I think that could be uh, one of those little strategies that would benefit you. That makes a lot of sense to to me based on on kind of our conversation today, but also from an overall health standpoint, right? Like we don't want to be grazing. We're not cows, <laughs> right? right? And we need to right. eat our few times a day and right. and give our mouth a, a chance to recover in between. Right. That makes sense. Right. right, and it's the same. It's the same concept, right? Like you just said, with your mouth, and uh, you, you don't want your stomach constantly working either, right? Exactly. So you you don't want you want to give a break. You know, you really should have food in your mouth for a meal and that's for like a 30 minute period. And then after that, I try to just have water. You know, I try not to have sugary drinks or sugar laden coffees or whatever it might be. I mean, I try to just keep it to water and then enjoy a beverage for a shorter period of time, but not throughout the day, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
Great advice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we forget that we're runners, but you know, 95% of our day often is not running on, you know, on the weekdays anyways. And it's all those things that you do in between that can really affect your health as well. So you've shared with us some amazing tips, tricks, things to think about, things I'm sure a lot of our listeners have not thought about. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Glad to reconnect and keep up the good work with podcasts and everything. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. You're very welcome.